where all my children are the light Born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right My people are warriors, all we know is to fight Pray, they see God and everything I write yeah. This is another special edition of On One with Angela Rye Entitled An Unprecedented Impeachment Argument Let's start with July 24th, 2019 Robert Mueller testified before the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committees for a total of seven hours. He refused to answer a number of questions, and the questions he answered? Oh, they only made those of us who are pro-impeachment even more pro-impeachment. Robert Mueller served as the special counsel to the Russia investigation. The Mueller investigation began when he was appointed on May 17, 2017, by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, according to Order Number 3915, to investigate any interference by Russia in the 2016 election, obstruction of justice, and interference in that investigation. That investigation was closed in mid-March with the release of a 448-page report to Attorney General William Barr, and it was delivered on March 22, 2019. On April 18, 2019, a redacted version of the report was released to the American public. I read that same report on this podcast for more than 16 hours. If you all haven't listened, I encourage you to do just that. The special counsel's investigation cost $25.2 million in indirect and direct spending. The final cost is expected to be somewhere closer to $34 million. The good news? As the result of the investigation, more than $40 million has been recovered, so the investigation is more than paid for. Only 3% of Americans, 3%, have read the Mueller report in its entirety which, of course, is the very reason I chose to read that report aloud on this podcast. Again, all 16 hours. So July 24th, 2019, Robert Mueller testified. And there's a notable moment with Congressman Schiff, who's the chairman of the Intel Committee, who made this observation to which Robert Mueller agreed. The need to act in an ethical manner is not just a moral one, but when people act unethically, it also exposes them to compromise, particularly in dealing with foreign powers. Is that true? True. Because when someone acts unethically in connection with a foreign partner, that foreign partner can later expose their wrongdoing and extort them. True. And that conduct, that unethical conduct, can be of a financial nature if you have a financial motive or an illicit business dealing. Am I right? Yes. I'd like to see if we can broaden the aperture at the end of the hearing. From your testimony today, I gather that you believe that knowingly accepting foreign assistance during a presidential campaign is an unethical thing to do. And a crime. And a crime. Circumstances, yes. And to the degree... And a crime given certain circumstances. And to the degree that it undermines our democracy and our institutions, we can agree that it's also unpatriotic. True. And wrong. True. And then there were moments like this exchange with Representative Val Demings where it appeared that Special Counsel Mueller confirmed what so many of us suspected. Were these all the answers your office wanted to ask the president about Russia interference in the 2016 election? No, not necessarily. So there were other yes. questions that you wanted to answer. Did you analyze his written answers on Russia interference to draw conclusions about the president's credibility? No, it was perhaps one of the factors, but uh, nothing more than that. It was one of the factors. So what did you determine about the president's credibility? And that I can't get into. 
Director Mueller, I know based on your decades of experience, you've probably had an opportunity to um, analyze the credibility of countless witnesses, but you weren't able to do so with this witness. Well, with every witness, particularly a, a leading witness, uh, one assesses the credibility day by day, witness by witness, document by document. And, and uh, that's what happened in this case. So we started well, with very little, and by the end, we ended up with a fair amount. But, yeah, fair amount. Thank you. Well, let's go through some of the answers to take a closer look at his credibility, because it seems to me, Director Mueller, that his answers were not credible at all. Do some of President Trump's incomplete answers relate to Trump Tower Moscow? Yes. For example, did you ask the president whether he had had at any time directed or suggested that, that discussions about Trump Moscow project should cease? Should what? Cease. Uh, do you have a citation? Yes, we're still in Appendix C, Section 1, 7. The first page? Uh-huh. Says the President did not answer whether he had at any time directed or suggested that discussions about the Trump-Moscow project should cease, but he has since made public comments about this topic. Okay. And the question was? Did the President, uh, let me go on to the next question, did the President fully answer that question in his written statement to you about the Trump-Moscow project ceasing? Uh, Again, in Appendix C. Yeah, and can you direct me to the uh, particular paragraph you're adverting to? It would be Appendix C. Dash C1, but let me move forward. Nine days after he submitted his written answers, didn't the president say publicly that he, quote, decided not to do the project, unquote? And that is in your I, uh, report. I, 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 I'd, ask you, I'd ask you if you would to point out the, the particular paragraph that you're uh, okay. focused we, on. We, we can move on. Did the president answer your follow-up questions? Uh, According to the report, there were follow-up questions because of the president's incomplete answers about the Moscow project. Did the president answer your follow-up questions either in writing or orally? And we're now in no. volume two, page 150 through 151. No. He did not. In fact, there were many questions that you asked the president that he simply didn't answer. Isn't that correct? True. And there were many answers that contradicted other evidence you had gathered during the investigation. Isn't that correct, yes. Director Mueller? Director Mueller, for example, the president in his written answer stated he did not recall having advanced knowledge of WikiLeaks releases. Is that correct? I think that's what he said. But didn't your investigation uncover evidence that the president did, in fact, have advanced knowledge of WikiLeaks public releases of emails damaging to his opponent? And I can't get into that area. Did your investigation determine, after very careful vetting of Rick Gates and Michael Coins, that you found them to be credible? That we found the president to be credible? That you found Gates and Cohen to be credible in their I'm, statements I'm about WikiLeaks? The, the, those areas I'm not going to discuss. Okay. Could you say, Director Mueller, that the president was credible? I can't answer that question. Director Mueller, isn't it fair to say that the president's written answers were not only inadequate and incomplete because he didn't answer many of your questions, but where he did, his answer showed that he wasn't always being truthful? Uh, there, uh, I would say, uh, generally. 
generally. Director Mueller, it's one thing for the president to lie to the American people about your investigation, falsely claiming that you found no collusion and no obstruction, but it's something else altogether for him to get away with not answering your questions and lying about them. And as a former law enforcement officer of almost 30 years, I find that a disgrace to our criminal justice system. Thank you so much. Thank I you, yield back to the chairman. Or then there's this one with Representative Mike Quigley from Ohio, who had Robert Mueller say in response to his question, problematic is an understatement in regards to WikiLeaks praise from Trump. Here's that moment. This just came out, WikiLeaks. I love WikiLeaks. Donald Trump, October 10th, 2016. This WikiLeaks stuff is unbelievable. It tells you the inner heart. You got to read it. Donald Trump, October 12th, 2016. This WikiLeaks is like a treasure trove. Donald Trump, October 31st, 2016. Boy, I love reading those WikiLeaks. Donald Trump, November 4th, 2016. Would any of those quotes disturb you, Mr. Director? I'm not certain I would say. Uh, How do you react to that? Uh, well, it's probably problematic is, is an understatement in terms of what it displays in terms of uh, uh, giving some, uh, I don't know, hope or some boost to what is and should be illegal activity. Donald Trump Jr. had direct electronic communications with WikiLeaks during the campaign period. On October 3rd, 2016, WikiLeaks sent another direct message to Trump Jr. asking you guys to help disseminate a link alleging candidate Clinton had advocated a drone to attack Julian Assange. Trump Jr. Re responded that, quote, he had already done so. Same question. This behavior, at the very least, disturbing Sorry, your reaction? And disturbing and also in, in, uh, subject to investigation. One of the most notable moments during Robert Mueller's testimony is when he said, over the course of my career, I've seen a number of challenges to our democracy. The Russian government's efforts to interfere in our election is among the most serious. Because of this special investigation, 34 people and three companies have been charged. While it's tenuous, I think it is very important for you all to understand why I do believe Donald Trump is culpable and why I do believe he should be impeached. Let's start with Paul Manafort, who was Trump's former campaign chairman and campaign manager, who was indicted on 25 counts from money laundering to acting as an unregistered foreign agent. Or Rick Gates, who served as Trump's former campaign advisor, also an associate of Manafort's, and pled guilty to one count of making false statements and one count of conspiracy against the United States after initially facing 29 charges. Then there's George Papadopoulos, who served as Trump's former campaign foreign policy advisor, who was charged with making false statements to the FBI. There's also Michael Flynn, who served as Trump's national security advisor, who was charged with making false statements to the FBI and the Department of Justice. Then there's Michael Cohen, who served as Trump's former personal attorney. He was a regular spokesman and advocate for Trump, who was infamously known for saying that he would take a bullet for Donald Trump. He was convicted of making false statements to Congress and for making hush money payments to two women who had affairs with Trump, which is, of course, a campaign finance law violation. Then there's Roger Stone, a campaign advisor to Donald Trump, who was indicted for making false statements to Congress and witness tampering, seven total counts. 
Then there are people who are less directly affiliated with Donald Trump, but they're affiliated nonetheless with this investigation. There's Alex Vanderswan, a lawyer to Manafort and Gates, who was indicted for lying to special counsel prosecutors and the FBI. There's Konstantin Kalimnik, who was the director of Paul Manafort's Kiev cop operation and was charged with obstruction of justice and conspiracy to obstruct justice. There are 25 Russian nationals and three Russian companies who were also implicated in the Mueller investigation for hacking. Twelve of those Russian nationals had direct ties to the hacking of DNC servers and emails. And the other 13 and the three companies were directly tied to using social media to influence the election. There's a guy named Richard Pinedo who doesn't have any affiliation directly with these individuals, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, Donald Trump. But the tie here is Russia. This is a person with the least amount of a connection to Russia, but he put Russia in a prime position to help win Donald Trump the election. Pinedo was sentenced to six months in prison for selling bank account information that helped Russia wage a massive social media disinformation campaign that caused direct harm to American democracy and disrupted the 2016 presidential race. Your investigation, sir, found a number of troubling contacts between Mr. Manafort and Russian individuals during and after the campaign. Is that right, sir? Correct. Correct. Manafort also met several times with a man named Konstantin Kalimnik, who the FBI assessed to have ties with Russian intel agencies. Is that right, sir? Correct. In fact, Mr. Manafort didn't just meet with him. He shared private Trump campaign polling information with this man linked to Russian intelligence. Is that right, sir? That is correct. And in turn, the information was shared with a Russian oligarch tied to Vladimir Putin. Is that right, sir? Uh, allegedly. Director Mueller, uh, meeting with him wasn't enough. Uh, sharing internal polling information wasn't enough. Mr. Manafort went so far as to offer this Russian oligarch tied to Putin a private briefing on the campaign. Is that right, sir? Yes, sir. And finally, Mr. Manafort also discussed internal campaign strategy on four battleground states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota, with the Russian intelligence-linked individual. Did he not, sir? That's reflected in the report. It's clear that he hoped to be paid back money he was owed by Russian or Ukrainian oligarchs in return for the passage of private campaign information. That is, that is true. Would you agree, sir, that Manafort's contacts with Russians close to Vladimir Putin and his efforts to exchange private information on Americans for money left him vulnerable to blackmail by the Russians? I think generally uh, so. That would be the case. Your report indicates that Michael Cohen had a long conversation on the phone with someone from Dmitry Peskov's office. Presumably the Russians could record that conversation, could they not? Yes. And so if candidate Trump was saying, I have no dealings with the Russians, but the Russians had a tape recording, they could expose that, could they not? Yes. That's the stuff of counterintelligence nightmares, is it not? We're talking about 34 people and three companies who have been charged. But the president's not guilty? How is everybody guilty around you, but you're still out here free? That's interesting to me. So now I just want to go briefly over what qualifies someone for impeachment. What are the grounds for impeachment? What's the history for impeachment? What are the standards for impeachment? And what are the things that Donald Trump has done for which he should be impeached? Let alone being arrested and being charged. But, you know, the Department of Justice guidance said he can't they can't do that. 
So impeachment is outlined in the Constitution to remove the president, vice president, federal judges, and other federal officials from office. For those of you who follow me on Instagram, I shared a graphic earlier this week that shares all of the steps that are required for impeachment. And to not bore you with all of it, I want to make sure that I'm clear and concise. The House of Representatives must first introduce an impeachment resolution for three reasons, which we'll outline in just a moment. The House Judiciary Committee then analyzes the accusations discussing the articles of impeachment. It's a committee process. It has to go through the Judiciary Committee first because of House rules um, and their committee jurisdiction. The House of Representatives then has an opportunity to debate and vote on the articles of impeachment or impeachment resolution. And 51 percent, a simple majority, is needed for that resolution to pass the House. Charges are then brought forward to the Senate and there, it requires a supermajority of senators voting in favor of that. Senators must write the bill of indictment and inform the president. Then a Senate trial is headed by the U.S. United States Chief Justice. And the jury is made up of senators. There's evidence collection and there are hearings. The jury of senators deliberate privately and then vote publicly again. This is a vote that requires two thirds of the majority of the Senate, which would lead to a conviction and removal for office. Tenuous, difficult, yes, but that does not alleviate the responsibility from, of House Democrats to do the right thing. It is important to note that impeachment is a political process and not a criminal one, which is why Robert Mueller repeatedly stated in his report that he was not able to charge Donald Trump with obstruction of justice because of Department of Justice guidance from OLA. Congress cannot impose criminal charges on the president, but criminal courts may try and punish officials, including the president, if they have committed crimes. However, again, the president cannot be prosecuted during his presidency. Only impeachment uh, proceedings can go forth during a presidency. What is the history of impeachment? House began impeachment proceedings on three presidents. So Andrew Johnson in 1868, but Congress did not convict him. Richard Nixon, which you all know is infamous for the Watergate issues. 1974, he resigned before the House could fully vote. Um, he resigned for obstruction of justice, abuse of power, contempt of Congress for defying the committee's request to produce documents, which we're watching Donald Trump do right now. Obstruction of justice, abuse of power, contempt of Congress for defying the committee's request to produce documents all sounds familiar we'll get into more of that in just a little bit bill clinton in 1998 was impeached but acquitted on his charges acquitted on his charges four charges are related to an affair with a white house intern committing perjury before a grand jury providing false and misleading testimony in a related civil case all of which donald trump's associates are doing right now or just did obstructing justice to delay and conceal related evidence we're watching that happen misused and abused his office by deceiving the public we're watching that happen right now in history, 19 officials have been impeached. Eight federal judges have been convicted and removed. Now, let's talk briefly about the standards for impeachment. And then we're going to talk about why Donald Trump is a prime candidate for impeachment. The Constitution lists three outlines, three and only three grounds for impeachment. This is important because although contrary to popular belief, some actions of presidents are not actually impeachable. The Constitution states in pertinent part, the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office for impeach on impeachment for and conviction of 
treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. That's Article 2, Section 4. To clarify, the three reasons are treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. Treason... As defined in the Constitution, Article 3, Section 3, Clause 1, treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. Bribery, while not defined in the Constitution, normally allows for persuading someone to act in one's favor by a gift of money or other inducement. The last one, which is high crimes and misdemeanors, is subject to a lot of debate uh, because there's really no definition in the Constitution. But it doesn't actually mean crimes in the criminal sense, because then this would not be applicable to a political process, which is what impeachment is. But there are a list of uh, high crimes and misdemeanors uh, that we'll get into later as well. Actions that are considered obstruction of justice. Obstruction of justice as an act that corruptly or by threats or force or by any threatening letter or communication, I guess now we should add tweets, influences, obstructs or impedes or endeavors to influence, obstruct or impede the due administration of justice. We've all seen this happen in plain sight as of late. A person has to have a special, a specific intent to obstruct justice in a judicial proceeding for it to be considered obstruction of justice. A person must not only have specific intent to disrupt the proceeding, they must know the proceeding was happening at that time. And there has to be a connection between the attempt to obstruct justice and the proceeding. The person must also have knowledge of the two being connected. An effort to influence a proceeding can qualify as an endeavor to obstruct justice, even if the effort was subtle or circuitous and however cleverly or with whatever cloaking of purpose it was made. I want to share now other impeachable offenses by government officials to help you gain a clear understanding of what a high crime or misdemeanor is in this sense. Going back to that definition that's required for impeachment, that would allow for or that would provide for accepting or conspiring to solicit bribes, making false and misleading statements under and not under oath of which Donald Trump is now about 10,000 false and misleading statements in, sexual assault, of which he has more than 20-plus accusers, obstructing and impeding an official proceeding, of which we watch him do again in plain sight on TV and on Twitter, charges of income tax evasion. Well, we wouldn't know that because he's failed to produce his tax returns and has avoided responding to congressional requests for said tax returns, which is another way of obstructing justice and is a violation of the law. Abuse and misuse of power. There are numerous examples of this and charges of intoxication. I don't know that he drinks. He says he doesn't drink, but he certainly acts drunk. Moving right along. Donald Trump's actions within his role as president that meet the above standards and grounds for impeachment. Section B, Volume 2. During Trump's presidential transition... The then incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn had two phone calls with the U.S. Russian ambassador about Russia's response to sanctions being imposed due to Russia's interference in the election. So that would be engaging with another government 
to uh, allow for uh, some type of undue influence on our election process. This was after that process already took place, but they were trying to alleviate the sanctions once they knew that Russia was involved in hacking uh, the election, hacking uh, into the DNC's email servers. January 26, 2017, the Department of Justice notifies the White House that Flynn, Michael Flynn, did discuss sanctions with the U.S. Russian ambassador and was interviewed by the FBI. January 27th, uh, Donald Trump had dinner with former FBI director James Comey and asked for his loyalty one day after the White House had been notified of Michael Flynn's actions. Then on February 20th, 2017, Donald Trump asked Michael Flynn to resign. And the next day, February 21st, 2017, the president tells FBI Director Comey, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. Let's see what else. In early March, the president told White House counsel Donald McGahn to stop Jeff Sessions, who was attorney general at that time, from recusing himself. And after Jeff Sessions announced his recusal on March 2nd, the president expressed anger at that decision and told advisors that he should have an attorney general who would protect him. This is in the executive summary of the volume two portion of the special counsel report. I'm just refreshing your recollection. Later in March, Comey publicly disclosed at a congressional hearing that the FBI was investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. When James Comey said that, Donald Trump reached out to intelligence leaders, including the director of national intelligence, the CIA leader, director, the National Security Agency director to ask them what they could do to publicly dispel the suggestion that the president had any connection to the Russian election interference effort. That sounds a little bit like obstruction. The president also twice called Director Comey directly on May 3rd, 2017, uh, Director Comey testified in a congressional hearing, but to but declined to answer questions about whether the president was personally under investigation. And within days after that, Donald Trump decided to terminate Director Comey. There are a number of other examples of this. Again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the volume two portion of the of the report, at least the executive summary. There are other things that happened from May 17, 2017, June 14, June 17, June 19, July 19, and on and on and on. Um, but there are some other actions not having to do uh, directly with this portion of the Russia investigation, but have to do with Donald Trump's um, unethical behavior and arguably ways in which he's obstructed justice or engaged unethically, including asking the Department of Justice to drop the case against Sheriff Joe Arpaio after the request was rejected. Trump decided to let the case go to trial and would grant Arpaio a pardon if convicted. March 9th, 2017, Trump attempts to violate protocol governing presidential contact with federal prosecutors by having his assistant contact U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Preet Bahara's office, asking Bahara to call President Trump. Bahara then calls back Trump assistant, letting him know 
Any direct contact with the president is a violation of protocol. On March 22nd, 2017, we already talked about that, but March 22nd, 2017 is when Donald Trump engaged directly with intelligence officials, asking them to intervene in, in ways that were absolutely inappropriate, according to each of the intelligence officers. Other than Trump Tower Moscow, uh, your report does not address or detail the president's financial ties or dealings with Russia, correct? Correct. Similarly, since it was outside your purview, your report does not address the question of whether Russian oligarchs engaged in money laundering through any of the president's businesses, correct? Correct. And of course, your office did not obtain the president's tax returns, which could otherwise show foreign financial sources, correct? I'm not going to speak to that. That's only some of what was done. Some of it having to do with um, this particular Russia investigation specifically, some of them having to do with beyond that, with him abusing his power. If it's not obstruction of justice with Donald Trump, it's an abuse of power. If it's not abuse of power with Donald Trump, it's racism. If it's not racism with, racism with Donald Trump, it's his inability to stop making false statements. So there are other actions of Donald Trump that are impeachment worthy. And here are some of those. They are long. They are numerous. But I'm doing this to say to the Democrats um, in the House of Representatives, there's simply no excuse for not moving forward with impeachment. If Barack Obama would have done one tenth of what Donald Trump is doing, there absolutely would be an impeachment, articles of impeachment, not just written, not just introduced, but passed and gone on to the Senate. So let's just start with the emoluments clause violations. According to the Center for Responsive Politics, the Trump Hotel's revenue soared over the past few years. In 2015, records show $16.7 million in hotel and resort revenues. However, that amount has doubled to $33.8 million during the campaign and election year. And since Trump became president, the hotel revenue jumped about 80% reaching $60.8 million in 2017, from $33.8 million to $60.8 million. In 2017 alone, Trump's 2020 campaign spent $720,064 at buildings Trump owns. This is an example of why presidents are expected to divest from their businesses. Ask me if he's divested from his businesses. That is a violation, ladies and gentlemen, distinguished listeners, of the emolument clause. There's also a new investigation. Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman um, Engel just launched a probe into Trump overcharging the government specifically the State Department, which has paid 300% of the government rate for a stay at Mar-a-Lago, um, which you all know is now what Trump calls the White House down south, for a stay at Mar-a-Lago for a recent summit with the Chinese government, 300% of the rate that is approved for federal government officials. After Donald Trump was elected, Mar-a-Lago doubled its member fees to $200,000 annually before taxes. According to a recent USA Today story, executives from 50 government contractors and 21 lobbyists hold memberships at Trump clubs. The president is prohibited, 
absolutely prohibited from accepting personal benefits from any foreign government or official. And so anytime a foreign official stays at a Trump hotel or approves a Trump project or grants a trademark of Trump that violates the Constitution, that violates the Constitution. And moreover, when Trump golfs on a Trump property, funneling taxpayer dollars into his establishment, that is also a violation of the Emoluments Clause in the Constitution. During the 2016 election, Trump's son took a meeting with a Russian national regarding incriminating information, alleged incriminating information about Hillary Clinton. When news of that story broke, Trump issued a public statement on his son's behalf or encouraged his son to to draft a public statement and say that this meeting was about adoptions when it was not, in fact, the case. That is his direct involvement in drafting and consulting on a misleading statement, of which, again, we know he has more than 10,000, at least as of April 2019. He has been a part of inciting violence upon citizens by encouraging police to rough up individuals under arrest, and he failed to denounce the heinous acts of the neo-Nazi groups that rioted in Charlottesville, resulting in the killing of a protester. He has abused his power in multiple ways. We talked about Joe Arpaio already. He has consistently endangered millions of lives by engaging in reckless behavior, hot-headed Twitter rampages, and reckless threats, and taunts specifically projected toward North Korea. His attacks on the free press, which he calls the fake news, calling journalists the enemy of the people, when we know that freedom of the press is also a constitutionally protected space, Donald Trump is regularly poking fun at and antagonizing the press because they don't side with him all the time. Also, constitutional a constitutional challenge. There's a consistent and constant abuse of his executive power in instances where he has pressured the Department of Justice to investigate Hillary Clinton in matters that have nothing to do with law enforcement, but instead is him trying to simply display and abuse his power. Under the Trump administration's zero tolerance policy for human rights, that's what it appears to be, human rights have been violated. And then there's, of course, his blatantly racist behavior. Trump launched his campaign in 2015 by calling Mexican immigrants drug dealers and rapists who are bringing crime to the United States. His campaign was largely built on building a wall to keep immigrants who he's branded this way out of the United States. Also as a candidate in 2015, Donald Trump called for a ban on all Muslims coming into the United States, and it was a ban that his administration eventually sought to implement. And they ended up being able to implement a significantly watered-down version of that policy, but it was hate-filled. When asked at a 2016 Republican debate whether all 1.6 billion Muslims in the world hate the United States, Trump said, I mean, a lot of them. I mean, a lot of them. He argued in 2016 that Judge Gonzalo Curio, who was overseeing the Trump University lawsuit, should recuse himself from the case because of his Mexican heritage and his membership in a Latino Lawyers Association. House Speaker Paul Ryan, who endorsed Trump, later called such comments the textbook definition of a racist comment. 
Trump has been repeatedly slow to condemn, habitually slow, to condemn white supremacy, especially those white supremacists who endorse him. And he regularly retweets messages from white supremacists and neo-Nazis during his presidential campaign through now. He tweeted and later deleted an image that showed Hillary Clinton in front of a pile of money and by a Jewish star of David that said most corrupt candidate ever. The tweet had some obvious anti-Semitic imagery, but Trump insisted that the star was a sheriff's badge and said his campaign shouldn't have deleted it. Trump has also repeatedly referred to Senator Elizabeth Warren as Pocahontas, using her controversial and later walked back claims to be Native American as a punchline. At the 2016 Republican convention, Trump officially seized the mantle of the law and order candidate, which is an obvious dog whistle playing to white fears of black crime, even though crime in the United States is historically low. His speeches, his comments, even executive actions taken after he became president have continued this line of messaging and playing into this type of fear. In a pitch to black voters in 2016, I will never forget when Donald Trump said, you're living in poverty, your schools are no good, you have no jobs, 58% of your youth are unemployed, what the hell do you have to lose? Trump stereotyped a black reporter at a press conference in February 2017. That reporter is my friend April Ryan. He asked her when when April Ryan asked him if he had plans to meet and work with the Congressional Black Caucus, he retorted, you should set up the meeting. And she let him know that her job is not to set up a meeting for an entity that she doesn't work for because she's a reporter. In the week after white supremacist protests in Charlottesville, Virginia, in August 2017, Trump repeatedly said that there are many sides and both sides which were to blame for the violence and the chaos that ensued as a result of what was happening on the ground in Charlottesville. He suggested that white supremacist protesters were morally equivalent to counter protesters that stood against racism. He also said that there were some very fine people among the white supremacists. All of this seemed like a dog whistle to white supremacists, and many of them took it as one, with white nationalist Richard Spencer praising Trump for defending the truth. And let's talk about what he did in 2017. Trump repeatedly attacked NFL players who, by kneeling or otherwise silently protesting during the national anthem to protect black lives, to finally state that black lives truly matter, to demonstrate standing together and to demonstrate in solidarity that they are going to stand against systemic racism in this country. Donald Trump retorted, responded by calling them sons of bitches. Trump reportedly said in 2017 that people who came to the United States from Haiti all have AIDS. And he lamented that people who come to the United States from Nigeria would never go back to their huts once they saw America. While the White House denied that Donald Trump ever made these comments, it is also clear that he has an issue with black immigrants and all immigrants of color, as we've seen in his immigration policies. Speaking about immigration in a bipartisan meeting in January 2018, Trump, when asked or asked about Haiti and African countries, 
Why are we having all these people from shithole countries come here? He then reportedly suggested that the United States should take more people from countries like Norway. But what does Norway have in common with Donald Trump? It is very white. The implication, immigrants from predominantly white countries are good, while immigrants from predominantly black countries are bad. Sure, he denied making the shithole comments, even though senators present in the meeting said it absolutely happened. The White House also suggested that comments like the ones he made about the NFL protests play well to his base. And that is precisely the problem. He's playing well to his base while creating instances of danger for people who are other. Trump denied making the shithole comments, but we know exactly what the truth is. Trump mocked Elizabeth Warren throughout her campaign by calling her Pocahontas in a tweet, which we know he's done all along the way. But this one, a little more egregious. See you on the campaign trail, Liz, capitalizing trail, which is seemingly a reference to the Trail of Tears, a horrific act of ethnic cleansing that occurred on these shores in the 19th century in which Native Americans were forcibly relocated, causing thousands of deaths. Most recently, Trump tweeted that several black and brown members of Congress, Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib, are from countries who gov- whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe and that they should go back to those countries. It's a common racist trope to say that black and brown people, particularly immigrants, should go back to their countries of origin. Three of the four members of Congress who he targeted were born in the United States. And one of them, Ilhan Omar, came as a refugee from her home country of Somalia. Here's the bottom line. Nearly every senior level campaign official had some contact with Russia. On January 25th, 2018, the New York Times reported that, quote, the president had ordered McGahn to have the Department of Justice fire you. Is that correct? Correct. After the news broke, did the president go on TV and deny the story? Do not know. In fact, the president said, quote, fake news, folks, fake news, a typical New York Times fake story, end quote, correct? Correct. But your investigation actually found substantial evidence that McCann was ordered by the president to fire you, correct? Yes. Here's another bottom line. Russia interfered in the 2016 election, and although not the subject of today's podcast, they did the same thing in 2018 and are expected to interfere in broad and sweeping ways in 2020. And here's another bottom line. Donald Trump didn't do anything to discourage this behavior. In fact, he did the exact opposite. He encouraged it. Here's another bottom line. The president is a xenophobe, a bigot, and a racist, and he's done so much more. The president has repeatedly claimed that your report found there was no obstruction and that it completely and totally exonerated him. But that is not what your report said, is it? Correct. That is not what the report said. So the report did not conclude that he did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? That is correct. And what about total exoneration? Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. Now, in fact, your reports expressly states that it does not exonerate the president. It does. So many of you may be asking why I lay out the case with all of these facts 
of which there are many more, why you should care? And the answer is simple. Some of you, a lot of you, absolutely have to care. I would argue all of you have to care. And if you don't care yet, or you stopped caring a while ago, I will tell you why I care And many of my reasons were not only in the four corners of the document produced by Robert Mueller. It's simple. This is personal to me at this point. I am watching one of the most dangerous people I've seen move around in modern history. I can't remember a time where a president has been more threatening. And while many of you may say that this is a government that's never fully represented us, this is a government that is always engaged in some type of a systemic oppression towards us, I would say you're absolutely right. But this time it's different. We have not seen someone to blatantly and in plain day create and develop policies that are so racist, racist and xenophobic. Donald Trump is racist. This is not a new thing. We've known that since he took out a full page ads against the Central Park Five calling for the death penalty against the five young black and brown boys. We've known that since the Department of Justice sued Donald Trump not once but twice for housing discrimination for marking CP for colored person on the top of housing applications. We've known this since Donald Trump was accused of calling a black accountant lazy and saying he only wanted Jewish people to count his money as a businessman. We've known this since on the casino floor of a Trump casino, he had black workers removed from the casino floor when he came into the facility with his wife or every time he came into his to the facility with his wife at the time. You know, he's on wife number three. But Donald Trump is racist. His behavior is no different than the Russian nationals and companies who exacerbated existing tensions and divides in this country to help him win the election. Oh yeah, when we talk about Russia misinformation or disinformation, what we're talking about are the ways in which they played on Black Lives Matter and they played on medium tier, low level activists and on the things that are the most challenging among us, police killings, the racism that we know that we've seen for far too long and is likely to not be called out. Those are the people they targeted to help him win the election. Donald Trump is targeting the opposite. He is no different. He is engaging in a disinformation campaign to win or to get you to stay at home. The attack was multifaceted and from the Russia side included actual hacking of several voting precincts throughout the country. I knew Donald Trump would be a problem from the moment he came down the escalators at Trump Tower in New York to announce his campaign. The same day he announced he was running for president, he let his racism and his xenophobia show by calling Mexicans drug dealers and rapists. It was chilling. And I knew that he was appealing to the worst of the worst fears in this country. But the hope of who I believed we were becoming kept me from allowing myself to even think that his election was even possible. I watched in horror and shock as he continued to overtly speak to a white supremacist base who felt they were losing their top placement in this country and as a result in the world. This fear has caused violence and oppression. Oppression in the forms of voter suppression and mass incarceration and partisan gerrymandering and in the most painful ways 
increasing calls to send people who were born on these shores or be, have become citizens back to where they came from, all because of fear. And he became the embodiment of that fear. The chief spokesman giving it credibility and an endorsement, giving it the assurance it needs to hang its hat on the Confederacy and the racism that has been deemed unconstitutional in the highest court of the land. So while he's adding some type of legitimacy to those fears felt and supported only by those among us, the irony is he is truly an illegitimate president. It's no different than when we receive the codes through game gening to win Super Mario Brothers. Young people don't know nothing about that. It's no different than when we read Cliff Notes to complete an essay instead of the book required of us. It is no different than any other type of shortcut or cheat to win. And so the question becomes, what is the acceptable consequence for someone who is clearly not fit to serve for someone who clearly is immoral, for someone who clearly represents the worst among us, for someone who clearly is playing on the ignorance and the prejudice of people who are afraid of losing their placement in society. And all of these challenges exist in the same body, that same human arguably handed the most powerful position in the world from cheating. And it was handed to him unfairly without the consent of millions of Americans. And I'm not just talking about those of you who stayed home. I'm talking about those of you who went to exercise your right to vote, to exercise your franchise, and watch this election get stolen from you in plain sight. And so the question I now have is what responsibility we have as a people, given all that we know, it is not sufficient any longer for us to say it's a shame. It's a shame doesn't get us anywhere, but in a powerless position. And right now, the folks who have the greatest amount of power to represent our interests are the House Democrats. So far, the majority of Democrats have been reluctant to press forward towards impeachment. Congressman Al Green introduced an impeachment resolution that I want to read to you all because I think that it's such a low bar. I don't understand why we have yet to move forward. The impeachment resolution is House Resolution 498. There was a motion to table that was just introduced and voted on last week. But this is what the resolution says. Resolved. That Donald John Trump, president of the United States, is unfit to be president, unfit to represent the American values of decency and morality, respectability and civility, honesty and propriety, reputability and integrity, is unfit to defend the ideals that have made America great. I have to take issue with that. I don't think he's great, but that's another conversation for another day. He's unfit to defend liberty and justice for all as extolled in the Pledge of Allegiance is unfit to defend the American ideal of all persons being created equal as exalted in the Declaration of Independence is unfit to ensure domestic tranquility, promote the general welfare and to ensure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity as lauded in the preamble to the United States Constitution is unfit to protect the government of the people, by the people, for the people, as elucidated in the Gettysburg Address and is impeached for high misdemeanors that the following article, Article 1 of impeachment, be exhibited to the Senate. 
article of impeachment exhibited by the House of Representatives of the United States in the name of itself of the people of the United States against Donald John Trump, president of the United States, in maintenance and support of its impeachment against him for high misdemeanors committed as president constituting harm to American society to the manifest injury of the people of the United States. Article 1. The House of Representatives on July 16th, 2019, strongly condemned President Donald Trump's racist comments that have legitimized and increased fear and hatred of new Americans and people of color by saying that our fellow Americans who are immigrants and those who may look to the presidents like they're immigrants should go back to other countries by referring to immigrants and asylum seekers as invaders and by saying that members of Congress who are immigrants or those of our colleagues who are wrongly assumed to be immigrants do not belong in Congress or the United States of America. In all of this, The aforementioned Donald John Trump has, by his statements, brought the high office of the president of the United States in contempt, ridicule, disgrace and disrepute has sown seeds of discord among the people of the United States, has demonstrated that he is unfit to be president and has betrayed his trust as president of the United States to the manifest injury of the people of the United States and has committed a high misdemeanor in office. Therefore, Donald John Trump, by causing such harm to the society of the United States, is unfit to be president and warrants impeachment, trial and removal from office. I read that resolution to you in full because it's not a high bar. It is not a high bar. He has absolutely done all of this and then some. So the question remains, What is holding the House majority, the Democrats who were voted into power by the American people to hold this man accountable? What is holding them back? And I don't have an answer. I have some potential answers. But here's what we do know. The only vote the House has taken on this impeachment resolution was a motion to table. That means that they are voting on this resolution to kill it, to kill the opportunity instead of allowing people to vote on the resolution on whether or not Donald Trump should be impeached. So they most they did a motion to table, but not to resolve whether or not he should be impeached. And per usual, there were some strong and courageous ones. And this time that number grew to 95. And I want to name the 95 people. Representative Alma Adams, Representative Nanette Barragan, Representative Karen Bass, Representative Joyce Beatty, I'm just going to name their names now, Earl Blumenauer, Suzanne Bonamici, Brendan Boyle, Anthony Brown, G.K. Butterfield, Tony Cardenas, Andre Carson, Joaquin Castro, David Cicilline, Catherine Clark, Yvette Clark, William Clay, Steve Cohen, Danny Davis, Madeline Dean, Diana DeGette, Mark DeSaulnier, I don't know him, but I don't know if I said his name right, I'm sorry, Debbie Dingle, Lloyd Doggett, Michael Doyle, Elliot Engel, Veronica Escobar, Adriano Espiat, Dwight Evans, Marsha Fudge, Jesus Garcia, Sylvia Garcia, Jimmy Gomez, Al Green, Raul Grijalva, Brian Higgins, Jared Huffman, Sheila Jackson Lee, Pramila Jayapal, Eddie Bernice Johnson, Robin Kelly, Joe Kennedy, Dan Kildee, Ann Kirkpatrick, 
Rick Larson, Brenda Lawrence, Barbara Lee, Mike Levin, Sander Levin, Ted Lou, Zoe Lofgren, Rep Lowenthal, Nita Lowy, Carolyn Maloney, Doris Matsui, Betty McCollum, Jim McGovern, Jerry McNerney, Grace Ming, Gwen Moore, Seth Moulton, Jerry Nadler, Grace Napolitano, Joe Nagoose, Donald Norcross, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Frank Pallone, Bill Prasquale, Donald Payne Jr., Chelly Pingree, Mark Pocan, Ayanna Presley, Jamie Raskin, Cedric Richmond, Lucille Roybal Allard, Mark I'm sorry, Mary Gay Scanlon, Jan Schakowsky, David Scott, Brad Sherman, Jackie Spire, Eric Swalwell, Mike Thompson, Benny Thompson, Dina, Dina Titus, Rashida Tlaib, Paul Tonka, Norma Torres, Lori Trahan, Juan Vargas, Philemon Vila, Nydia Velasquez, Maxine Waters, Bonnie Watson Coleman, Peter Welch, and Representative Frederica Wilson. These are your 95 soldiers who are not afraid to say that this impeachment resolution that sets the bar so low, of which he has highly hurdled, is the least we can do to move forward. The impeachment resolution would simply force this administration that has rebuffed every single instance where this, this House of Representatives has just tried to do its job, it forces them to comply. It forces them to no longer obstruct justice. It forces them to long, no longer make misstatements. It forces them to do the right thing. And they voted to, on a motion to table the resolution instead of considering the resolution. And now they have an opportunity to correct this. Now that Robert Mueller has testified before the American public saying much of what has already been said in the report, now they have the opportunity to correct this. But at this point, in this instance right now, that's yet to be done. And so at this point, I am at a loss. I'm curious to know what it will take for the Democrats to go forward with an impeachment inquiry. All an impeachment inquiry does is force the administration's cooperation. It forces the administration to respond to subpoenas. It forces them to no longer make the investigatory powers of the House of Representatives impossible. That is imperative because on May 15th, the White House counsel sent Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler a letter stating the White House will not be providing any documents or information associated with the investigation announced on March 4th. The White House counsel sent a letter to the chairman of the Judiciary Committee telling him that they're not going to submit Anything that will allow them to do their investigatory job, to allow them to fulfill their oversight powers. That is precisely one of the reasons why Richard Nixon was impeached. I hope that House Democrats soon embrace what the Congressional Black Caucus is known as. It's the conscience of the Congress, and I hope that it would extend beyond the conscience of the Congress into what is the conscience of this nation. Your conscience should move you to act. 
You don't just have a reckless president. You have one who has a wanton disregard for the Constitution and the laws of the land. You don't just have a lying president with more than 10,000 false statements made as of April 2019. So maybe we're closer to 11,000. You have an unethical president. You don't just have a a xenophobic president who wants to build walls instead of bridges. You have a racist president. You don't just have a president who is putting our national security at risk. You have one who is regularly compromising civil and human rights. You don't just have a president who's undermining the separation of powers. You have one who disrespects and threatens the freedom of the press. And so the question for my Democratic friends is what will it take for you to find your courage and to find your conscience? What will it take for you to remember why you won control of the House? If the American people expected you to serve as a checks and balances for this reckless administration, and this administration refuses to comply with your subpoenas, you can neither check nor balance. If the administration's actions or lack thereof prevent you from performing a key function required of Congress— which is oversight. What are we really doing here? I assure you, this doesn't look like courage. This does not look courageous. There is no wool to pull over eyes that with 2020 vision can see that the real concern here is if you move forward with impeachment, you are afraid you won't maintain control of the house. You're afraid that impeachment will embolden Trump's base and help him win. Oh, But don't you realize you have more to lose than if you don't act? Your failure to act is irresponsible at this point. It is a silent, tacit endorsement of all things Trump. And for a country now in the 400th year since the first enslaved African arrived on these shores, there can be no tacit endorsement of the blatant bigotry and racism that is embodied in Donald Trump. For a country on the eve of the centennial of the 19th Amendment, there can be no blind eye turned to his reckless treatment of women. For a country that claims to openly accept immigrants, there can be no failure to assist refugees and those coming to seek a better life. House Democrats, Democratic leadership, where is your courage? What will history say about this 116th Congress, that you did what was moral, what was right, or what was politically expedient. You have a constitutional obligation. You took an oath of office. I challenge you to consider people in positions of power throughout history. I challenge you to harness their bravery. I challenge you to harness their brilliance. I challenge you to harness their power, to realize that this this doesn't mean they weren't afraid, but it does mean that they didn't let their fear dictate their response to circumstances that are so obviously dangerous and harmful. In the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the time is always right to do what is right. Speaker Pelosi, Democratic leadership and all members of Congress who may feel conflicted, it's time for you to acknowledge publicly what we all know is said too often in private. 
As stated in House Resolution 498, Donald John Trump, by causing such harm to the society of the United States, is unfit to be president and warrants impeachment, trial, and removal from office. Or as said in the Volume 2 Executive Summary of the Mueller Report, at the same time, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state. Based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, we are unable to reach that judgment. Accordingly, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. If you cannot act on what you know to be fact, to be the case, if you don't act right now, you are affirming his belief, Donald Trump's belief, that he is indeed above the law. And so to the podcast listeners, I ask that you carefully think about what you will require of your leaders, what kind of courage you want to want them to exhibit in a time like this, how you want them to respond to someone who is reckless and has no regard for the law, how you want to, how you want them to respond to someone who has demonstrated a lack of care for ethics, someone who has allowed people all around him to blatantly lie to provide false statements to every law enforcement body in the federal government. He, has a, he even has someone on his team who's violated the Hatch Act. <laughs> and so what I'm saying to you is that breaking the law isn't the exception around Donald Trump and the Trump administration. Folks, it's the norm. And so I challenge you to think carefully about what you will require of your leaders, those who represent your best interests. What do you want them to do? And then what can you do? There's been legislation introduced on election security. There's been an impeachment resolution introduced. Call your members, write your members, demand answers. Tell them not to take no for an answer from the Trump administration. Whether we're talking about his tax returns or testimony from Donald McGahn or testimony from Hope Hicks or testimony from some of the others who are a part of this. Call your members of Congress, write your members of Congress, urge them to do the right thing in case they're feeling a lack of courage. If you won't read the report, if you won't listen to the 16 hours of podcast time I spent reading it to you, if you won't watch Mueller's testimony before the House Judiciary and Intel Committees, if you won't do the work to just read the articles on these things, and at the very least, if you won't even read his opening statement or watch it, I don't know what to tell you to do. But what I will tell you is we have a lot on the, on the line. This is not a game. It's dangerous times and we need to pay attention. We're past what's required of impeachment, folks. We really are. The bar is low in House Re Resolution 498. Tell your members of Congress just that. If you won't do any of the things I asked you to, at least read the or watch the highlights and read an article. Please share the report findings, an article on the report findings, a summary, a video of the Mueller report findings with people in your family, your community, your churches, your places of worship, and even the doggone grocery store. 
Be educated enough to no longer say it's a shame and turn a blind eye. If you are honest with yourself, from the moment we first said it's a shame, as Donald Trump came down the escalator and announced his candidacy for president, it has gotten significantly worse. Saying it's a shame is not enough. I beg you to not stop at it's a shame. This is how every awful thing in history happened. People said it's a shame and turned the other way and went about their everyday lives until their everyday lives changed. Let's not let that be our story. People at that time, in so many of those instances, did not understand their power. And as a result of them not walking in their power, an entire group of people suffered. Let's not let that be our story. Please recognize the power is in your hands. The only question right now is what you'll do with that power. Let me ask you about the, uh, you know, kind of uh, dramatic differences in American attitudes towards the president that are race-based. There was a question. I think it's a pretty sad poll when you see that. And look at Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton did so much for the black population, so much, and she got very few votes. So then yeah. you'll hear a political reporter. Look, I tell it like it is. Then you'll hear a political reporter go on and say, had nothing to do with race, but how come she got such a tiny piece of the vote? And it's, you know, it's a very sad thing. I have a great relationship with the blacks. I have, I've always had a great relationship with the blacks. But unfortunately, it seems that, uh, you know, the numbers that you cite are, are very, very frightening numbers. Why doesn't he show his birth certificate? I, I think he probably... He have to? Because I have to, and everybody else has to. Whip I really I, believe there's a birth certificate. Why? Look, she's smiling. Why doesn't he show his birth certificate? And you know what? I wish he would. Because I think it's a terrible pal that's hanging over him. He should show his birth certificate. Wow. There's something okay, on that well, birth certificate that he doesn't like. Oh, my God. Oh, that's a terrible that thing. Just African-American communities have suffered under Democratic control. To those I say the following. What do you have to lose by trying something new like Trump? You're living in poverty. Your schools are no good. You have no jobs. 58% of your youth is unemployed. What the hell do you have to lose? And obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. Although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas. So far, I'm dreaming of those candidates. I see those candidates before my eyes every night before I go to sleep. Sometimes while I'm sleeping, I love them so. Cory Booker. Pocahontas, Pocahontas. I've got more Indian blood in me than Pocahontas, and I have none. I mean, sadly, but I have more than When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some 
I assume are good people. Let me ask you about something in the news this morning. As you've seen, Harriet Tubman will now replace Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill. On the $20 uh, I, I bill? I think Harriet Tubman is fantastic. I would, love to, I would love to leave Andrew Jackson and see if we can maybe come up with another denomination. Maybe we do the $2 bill or we do another bill. I don't like seeing it. Yes, I think it's pure political correctness. Been on the bill for many, many years and you know, really represented somebody that really was very important to this country. I would love to see another denomination, and that could take place. I think, I think it would be more appropriate. Hello today, I want to ask you about comments you made about the judge in the Trump sure. University sure. case. You said that you thought it was a conflict years ago. Let me just tell you, I have had horrible rulings. I've been treated very unfairly by this judge. Now, this judge is of Mexican heritage. I'm building a wall. Okay, I'm building a wall. I am going to do very well with the Hispanics, the Mexicans. So everybody. no Mexican judge could ever be involved in a case well, that involves you? Uh, he's a member of a society where, you know, very pro-Mexico, and that's fine. It's all fine. But Except I think, you're calling I think he heritage. should recuse himself. Because he's uh, Then Latino. you also say, does he know the lawyer on the other side? I mean, does he know the lawyer? You know, a lot of people say but yes. I'm not I talking about that. I'm talking well, no, about that's, like, another, that's another problem. But you're invoking his race when talking about whether or not he can do his job. Jack. I'm building a wall, okay? I'm building a wall. I'm trying to keep business out of Mexico. Mexico's fine. There's nothing very important. Are you putting what you're calling the alt-left and white supremacists on the same moral plane? I'm not putting anybody on a moral plane. What I'm saying is this. You had a group on one side and you had a group on the other and they came at each other with clubs and it was vicious and it was horrible and it was a horrible thing to watch. But there is another side. There was a group on this side, you can call them the left, you've just called them the left, that came violently attacking the other group. So you can say what you want, but that's the way it is. From both sides, sir, you said there was hatred, there was violence on both sides. Are well, I do think there's blame, yes. I think there's blame on both sides. You look at, you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. And, and, and if you reported it accurately, you would say. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down, excuse me, are we going to take down, are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now we're going to take down his statue. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. You have no choice. 
We have no choice. Well, first of all, she wants to give amnesty, which is a disaster and very unfair to all of the people that are waiting in line for many, many years. We need strong borders. In the audience tonight, we have four mothers of... I mean, these are unbelievable people that I've gotten to know over a period of years whose children have been killed, brutally killed by people that came into the country illegally. You have thousands of mothers and fathers and relatives all over the country. They're coming in illegally. Drugs are pouring in through the border. We have no country if we have no border. Hillary wants to give amnesty. She wants to have open borders. The border secure, as you know, the Border Patrol agent, 16,500 plus ICE last week, endorsed me. First time they've ever endorsed a candidate. It means their job is tougher, but they know what's going on. They know it better than anybody. They want strong borders. They feel we have to have strong borders. I was up in New Hampshire the other day. The biggest complaint they have, it's with all of the problems going on in the world, many of the problems caused by Hillary Clinton and by Barack Obama, all of the problems, their single biggest problem is heroin that pours across our southern borders, just pouring and destroying their youth. It's poisoning the blood of their youth and plenty of other people. We have to have strong borders. We have to keep the drugs out of our country. We are right now, we're getting the drugs, they're getting the cash. We need strong borders. We need absolute, we cannot give amnesty. Now, I want to build the wall. We need the wall. The Border Patrol, ICE, they all want the wall. We stop the drugs. We, we shore up the border. One of my first acts will be to get all of the drug lords, all of the bad ones. We have some bad, bad people in this country that have to go out. We're going to get them out. We're going to secure the border. And once the border is secured, at a later date, we'll make a determination as to the rest. But we have some bad hombres here, and we're going to get them out. Are you going to include the CBC, Mr. President, in your conversations with your, your urban agenda, your inner city agenda, as well as... Am I going to include Are who? you going to include the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Well, Hispanic I would. Caucus, I tell you what. Do you want to well set up the, the meeting? CBC. Do you want to set up the meeting? No, no, no. I'm, Are they I'm, friends I'm, of I'm yours? No, get I'm, I set up. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He was the fire starter. Let's all hate these people because maybe hate is what we need if we're going to get something done. Donald Trump was calling basically for us to be murdered. This was an article written in 1989 where Donald Trump was calling for the execution of five young people who became known as the Central Park Five. I'm one of them. I really didn't know anything about Donald Trump until he took out those ads and, and called for our execution. Every time I think about that, I think had this been the 1950s, we would have been modern-day Emmett Till's. They had our names, our phone numbers, and addresses in the papers. And so what would have happened? Somebody from the darkest places of society would have come to our homes, kicked in our doors, and drunk us from our homes, and hung us from the trees in Central Park. That would have been the type of mob justice that they were seeking. When we were found to be innocent, I was beyond overjoyed. Men cleared after spending years in prison for a crime they did not commit. To be able to braggadociously say, we told you so, we, did, we didn't do this. I mean, we knew it, we knew it. Here we are full circle. If we look at everything that this man has said, everything is destructive and dangerous. We can't just say, oh, I'm just gonna blindly give my vote out and not hold people accountable. We definitely need to take a, a, a stance against having a person like Donald Trump be in 
the Oval Office. We can do this, and we must do this. It's important and necessary, and we need to use our vote collectively to make sure that the right thing happens. Uh, a sister once said that we need to spike lead this campaign and do the right thing, just like that. Striving to do right, my people are warriors All we know is the fight, praying to see God And everything I write, yeah Who are my children of the light? Striving to do right, my people are warriors All we know is the fight, praying to see God And everything I write, me the yellow side I say I'm just my father's daughter Like Christ, my body beating, but I refuse to holler Won't give them the satisfaction, but I let the tears flow Steady praying for them, Father, forgive them, they don't know that the revolution will not be televised Twitter, Facebook, excuse me as I scrutinize Added the mouth of this babe comes perfected praise As if you needed a 